So you recently had on Shastra Deo, is that right? That the name right? Yes. Uh, a poet for uh, on your uh, podcast. It's a fascinating interview. It's worth listening to. I won't make you talk about your your own guest behind her back, uh, but you did. There were a couple of things that came up that I was just curious about because I because there's like questions I'm thinking about that I don't feel like I have answers to. One is, and you pointed you like you both pointed out what feel like pretty obvious and and inarguable experiences in the poetry world from her perspective she said that she felt as if there were certain poems of hers that she referred to as brown poems that were she could with her current sort of reputation and identity she felt like she could more reliably place these that they were sort of the poems that people they were kind of squarely about her you know, ethnic national identity, and they could they could sort of she she knew there was a place for them. She could get she could sell them. I think as she put it, I know I could sell these. And then you, your response to that, which seemed totally to make sense to me, was that having been sometimes on the editorial side, you were had experience in a conversation saying things like, "Huh, let's see if we can get some more people of color or people of this variety or this that," and that that was. It was both like genuinely a conversation you've had and one that that you felt weird about. And I, I, I have participated in those conversations and felt weird about them as well. So my question, I guess, for both of us is what sh what should those conversations sound like? Like, you know, what what should say white? I mean, I don't know if it makes a difference whether they're white or not, but like what should editors be doing when it comes to questions of representation and diversity in building out a table of contents. Like, is that, too, should that never come up or should it? Cause I don't know. I mean, like I, I have your say, I share your discomfort, but I also share your experience. You know, and I'm not going to speak tell tales out of tale out of school about the magazine I work for now, but you know, broadly speaking, like that's definitely a conversation that comes up usually in like pretty, you, I mean, my experience is usually it has to do with solicitation. It's not so much like, weighing the virtues of poems that are submitted as it is let's see who we can reach out to and try to expand the both like expand the reach of the magazine and like bring people into into communication with us who might not have been otherwise what's what uh, should happen it's so hard matthew i don't i the short answer is i don't know um you've used this phrase a couple of times on previous episodes about making a table of contents. Mm. This is deeply depressing to me, this idea that <laughs> editors are listing a list of names and people will glance over it and go, oh, okay, I see who's who at the moment. And that uh, that is kind of what happens. That is kind of how I feel. Um, I think in an ideal world, you would have a blind... Uh, review process of your submissions. You would never have access to people's names until you had settled on the poems. And then also because the writing of poetry is so healthy, so many people are doing it, so many people feel welcome to do it. It just so happens that you end up with a beautiful spectrum of people that represents not just white guys. I'm yes. thinking of a a writers' festival that happened in Canberra, my hometown, maybe three or four years ago. 
Canberra Writers Festival just got slammed because this was, you know, a little bit before obviously Black Lives Matter movement um, and that whole 2020 conversation happened, but it was still kind of recently enough that people were pointing at them and saying, there's no one on this list that isn't a white person, guys. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I felt yeah. like, yeah, that's, I, I was sort of at once laughing at them and feeling sorry for them because it's just like, well, I mean, didn't anybody think of this? <laughs> but, <laughs> it does not occur to but, anyone on, yeah. Yeah, but but the other side of all that is the experience that Shastra talked about, which is you know that a certain kind of poem might be perhaps given more weight if it privileges a certain experience of being, you know, a, a person of colour, maybe a trans person, a queer person, that kind of thing. That also feels like an unfair amount of pressure to put yeah. on those writers. So I don't know. My answer is I just don't get involved in editorial decisions as much as possible, yeah, which is bullshit wise. because it just means yeah. I've like faded into the hedge, <laughs> Homer style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's probably wise because there is. I do think editing is a almost. It's not. It's not as thankless as reviewing, but it's not. It's not great. And you, I think you, you probably literally is no way to do it right. Like, I think you almost have to like make mistakes, but also just make sort of unbearable compromises in order to do it. The, 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 the observation I've heard Ryan has made and that he, he took from Dave Smith, who was more of a mentor to him was that really is the deal is that nobody should edit for more than five years. Oh, okay. Why is that? Well, from his perspective, he was saying because it burns you out as a poet. Like it, it chews you up, and you, and you not, you're not doing your own work as well, and it's exhausting, and it's sort of thankless, but it's also, but you know, on the other side, it's also you have some degree of authority and power, and maybe it, it wouldn't be bad if there were sort of term limits. Not that this is like a political situation, but like in an ideal world, maybe nobody would be an editor editor for more than a few years. I mean, I know Poetry Magazine is doing this thing right now where like they have different editors for every three issues. And that just feels like insane. Like by the time you barely get to know what you're doing, you're, you're done. That seems way too short, but, but yeah, maybe, maybe getting like, get put in five years and then, and then you're done for life. Like you can't ever edit again, which also would mean you just wow. get in a lot of other people in there, you know? Yeah, that's actually a, a really great idea. And it would mean that in that five-year span, you'd be really focused on doing the best possible job you could because this is your one yeah. chance to do it. Right, right. I would also, I think, <laughs> I feel like uh, like those politicians who advocate like a national year of service, like, I, you know, party was like, yeah, and then do a couple of years as a reviewer. See how you like that shit. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think like there, there are definitely people who complain about like editors, this and that who like should definitely have to do it for a little bit just to see what it's like. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think probably like s very steady rotation. Maybe that's the best answer. Uh, rather right. than, well, we, rather we've than solved like, it. Yeah. All right. Hey, well, thanks, shit. Okay. thanks for listening. Um, yeah. Like two white podcasters solved the question uh, of diversity. Isn't, and isn't that amazing how we did that? What, what else was on your mind? Cause I know. Yeah. Um, so I had one other points. It was maddening. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, so I had a, I had a terrible thought experiment <clears throat> that came to mind because the other were one of the, another 
facet of that conversation that that Shastradeo brought up was that in addition to feeling as if there were poems of hers that were being sort of tokenized or being treated as being, you know, she could she knew she could sell them, but also they were maybe being read in a very limited way. Uh, the other the other side of that, the other edge of that for her was that she likes to write about Captain America. She likes to write about uh, like weird semi legendary or mythological white dudes, and that, you know, and just write weird. Just likes to write lots of different weird poems, which is as as one should. But she felt sometimes as if she couldn't help but write have all of her poems read uh, as being spoken by somebody with her precise identity. Like people would read poems in which she was writing about a white guy and they would read them as being about her. So, I mean, not even just her identity, but like her specifically. So the, the, the experiment, and she kind of, she, she offered, I think, probably an insurmountable obstacle to this thought experiment when she pointed out that it was, that, that the other part of this is that she just has a reputation as a formidable poet. So that apart from her identity, she has some name recognition. And that does make a, an enormous difference in publishing. And I have another question about that for you. But the thought experiment I wanted to perform was, well, what if she... So I thought about like, because at some point I do want to do a podcast on the uh, the couple times that there have been sort of prominent cases of... I think they're I think they're always American or they're almost always American, but white guys who who try who publish under the names of people who are not white guys in oh, order to yeah. get their poems Please in do place. That some, right. So I'm gonna do that episode at some point, but it made me wanna um uh run the experiment the other way around. It made me wanna have like her submit poems as like Tony Carlisle, you know, and like see how it see what turned out. Like it submit her Captain America poem, right? As um uh Jimmy Williams. And you know, it's like see see what like I don't know. You know, people have, you know, women for forever published uh with men's names for obvious reasons. And and I wonder, yeah, like I think, you know, it's not a great idea for white people to use like to use uh non, you know, like presumptively and demonstrably, you know, non-white pen names in order to get placed in certain, you know, but like, if you're a person of color, like, right under a white name, like, I don't know, I'd, I'd be, I'd be interested. I'd be interested in seeing how that, how that experiment turned out. Uh, or at least, at least that would be a, I mean, the problem again is that it doesn't solve the red name recognition. Like it, there's no control for that, but yeah, I want like, I wanted her to be like less considerate of editors. <laughs> uh, and, like, but yeah, that, I don't know that there's actually a good solution to that. I guess my only thought on that is if I get Jimmy Williams's poem about Captain America, I'm just not interested. Like off the bat, I'm like, okay, well, I don't really think this could possibly have anything useful or interesting to say. So I guess I'm prejudiced the other way. This is me editing my yeah. no, 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 right. literary and, and, magazine. Well, and Sherman Alexie had a, he, 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 to his credit, stuck by his guns, but he also said that he was initially more interested in the poem that turned out to be written by a white guy when he thought it was written by a not white guy or not a guy or a white person. So maybe, maybe the, the real question is that people of color or women and women of color have an opportunity to take on subjects that would otherwise be insufferably boring. Like maybe that's what it is. Like it's, it's not, you know, so may, so with those kind of poems, maybe you need a speaker 
of a maybe it's actually somewhat important what the identity is in order to from the outset say i mean because presumably if you actually did read the poem it's a good poem right i mean like that's that's like the, the idea if it's worth publishing it's a good poem but but it the identity of the writer gives you a tip that there may be something going on here that is somewhat interesting but like so, yeah. so that, that can't be all of those poems right that can't be unless that's sort of her specific project in which case that's a different question like presumably there are other like that's a subset of poems right the the ridiculously boring topics rejuvenated by people of color right like that's that's its own subcategory but then there's a larger category mm -hmm. of like poems by poets of color who would rather not have everything they write be read through this particular lens and that's where maybe the thought yeah, experiment which, is useful yeah yeah uh, jimmy williams which, i want jimmy i want the jimmy williams tony carlisle you know like Ern malley collaborative experience i, I want oh, yeah yes. that's what i want okay but so then the related question uh or the related it was a it wasn't even a question you quoted or maybe paraphrased an editor who sounded like a, a biggish deal in australia who had said at the launch of some magazine poets need to understand that if no one knows who you are you won't get published who who is that again yeah that's me quoting almost certainly misquoting jess wilkinson who published my book um she publishes a journal here called Rabbit, which is definitely the best literary journal that we have and one that you actually would read when you get it in the mail. I I have a strong feeling that Jess wouldn't remember that and she probably would deny that that's how she put it because sure, 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 this yeah. is like 10-year-old memory. But my memory is that she said, yeah, you've got to have a bit of – people need to know who you are. You've got to go out and meet people. You've got to have not so much a reputation but something of a – yeah, like a network, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, and, and that I think makes perfect sense. Who knows whether she's changed her mind or even whether that was exactly what she said. But, but whatever the case, it it clearly struck a nerve and it it rang true in some way to you. Like it seemed like, oh, this is maybe the case. And it like whatever she intended or whatever she actually said, that statement does seem to get at something. And I, I mean, I, I read it as a as not necessarily as an endorsement, but as sort of a, a factual observation. Because like, to some degree, that's totally true and probably has, has always been true, right? Like knowing people is the most important thing when it comes to getting published. But I also wonder if there's, it makes me wonder about the small world of Australian poetry, because it feels like in a, depending on the size and the reach of the scene, it might actually be even more true in Australia. I mean, because like in, in the U S there, certainly there are like the people who dominate the poetry scene and are, are super, super well known, but there's just so fucking many people, even like yeah. per capita, there are way too many people writing poetry in America. Like there's always going to be, not just like some people who aren't known by some people, but like lots of people who aren't known by anybody. Certainly knowing people is is crucial, is the key and it's big and it makes a big difference, especially in, you know, some of the more prominent magazines, but it, it doesn't feel quite as universally true. And I don't, I mean, again, I don't know if it's sort of a, an exaggeration that gets at a, at a greater truth or, or if it also reflects something about a scene or, 
Or again, even if like, well, what should be the case? Is it like, is in an ideal world, again, is everything totally blind, I guess? Like blindness and rotation being the, the, the you know, the ideal conditions? On the one hand, you can well imagine an editor getting a submission that is just brilliant from somebody whose name they've never heard before and going, oh my God, I've just discovered this this great new talent and this great new voice and I'm going to pop them in the magazine. It's going to be amazing. On the other hand, and I feel as if this is a little bit more what Jess was saying, what Rabbit does is publish first books and I think there is, you know, there's just obviously a huge it's not even financial risk it's like a donation you know you're basically just like giving your money away when you publish somebody's poetry book but it's nice i think as a publisher to do that for somebody who there's just a slim chance that their book might sell more than five copies (laughs) i can imagine i can well imagine as a publisher wanting to support the work of people who just have you know, something of a something of a reputation. And look, I will probably regret saying this, but I feel like if I didn't have a podcast, I don't think I'd have a book. Yeah. Like, you know, why would Jess gamble on my book if nobody knew me? I hope that the poem would enough to support that gamble, but I don't think you can have one without the other, if that makes sense. And I think that that's okay. I don't think that poetry needs to somehow be free of that because you know we're going to talk about movie making and fiction writing as well these are also worlds that operate on that, that level and i just think it's it's funny how we hold poetry to this strange standard where it's almost as if we're not allowed to have those sorts of dependencies that sort of um necessary networking and reputational work that sullies it somehow. I don't think that poetry needs to be quite that pure. I think it probably depends on how much, like with fiction and then even more so with movies, there's more, there are more participants involved. There's a bigger audience. There's some money involved. There, there are events involved. There's sort of fun involved and i mean and you know part part of knowing the person you're publishing is also that when you publish someone you to some extent get into bed with that person and so like you you want to have be able to like is this somebody i can have a conversation with is this somebody who's i would want to be in the room with yeah Uh, yeah i wonder i think i think part of the reason we and i mean certainly when you get to things like you know the very successful insta poets then that that really is like a much more much more like mainline entertainment, but I wonder if it's just to the extent to which there is not fun or other incentives, like for much of the country and for much of poetry, there's very little else there apart from the poetry. And so I think in those cases, people maybe have a desire to imagine it as more pure, like, well, there's nothing else there's so little else here to have that you should at least have the poetry. And I think, I think it's not even true there. Like we probably like, we like to think of monks as being pure and virtuous because what the fuck else are they going to do? And I think, you know, uh, the, of course the answer is drink. Um, but 
Uh, and that's maybe that's the answer for poets as well. You can see people getting into the entertainment industry for reasons other than making movies, right? Like lots of reasons. It, it's harder well, to think of what you're getting into with poetry. Yeah, look, I have to take you to task on this because I have fun. I I enjoy my life as a poet and I didn't get into it because I thought it was going to be, I guess, glamorous. I didn't think I was going to be doing red carpet events or, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I love, like, when I was up in Brisbane um, – after I interviewed Shastra, I went and had dinner with another poet and then had drinks with him. Uh, I love, you know, getting on the phone to someone like Eleanor and just talking about the stuff we've read. I don't love readings, but I don't know if people love fiction readings either. I don't know if people like, you know, film premieres. I feel, I feel like that kind of event, maybe it's just that there are few other alternatives in poetry. Um, but... Yeah, I I think there's there's more fun than you give it credit for. I mean, I'm having fun now, and I think you're having fun making this podcast too <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't make it. So, like, yeah. I don't know. I just I don't think it's that dire. I really don't. Yeah. So there are reasons to weasel one's way into this world uh, while that have nothing to do with the writing poetry. So maybe that's also maybe that also solves the mystery of poetry plagiarists. Right? Yeah, maybe because the only reason that to plagiarize does. something is because you have an ulterior motive presumably yeah right so well as yeah as your previous guest jp gritton said you know we're better dressed better drinkers and uh generally more attractive so makes sense so why do you think people expect purity of poetry where does that come from if it's not our natural asceticism uh is that a romantic thing you talked on a previous episode about poetry being an acquired taste and something that you have to continue to acquire and i thought that was just really an excellent point i think there is a certain amount of just hand holding you need to get into poetry and i think that the purity expectation just comes from a just a bit of a lack of understanding about how diverse poetry is you know like the the poems that have the big global reputation, I guess. It, I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking of like, well, you could think of like a Shakespearean sonnet. You could think of Mending Wall, maybe. Here in Australia, there's a, a poem which is, you know, much maligned now, but it's by a poet called Dorothea McKellar called My Country. It's very earnest and serious and it rhymes and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think... It's just a, a lack of understanding. It's the same kind of impulse, I think, that you get when you walk into an art gallery and you see um, a work of abstract art and because you don't have any reference points or understanding, you feel as if you should think and feel certain things, but you don't, and so you just end up a bit confused as to what is actually happening. I'm not quite sure how to link that back to purity, but um, yeah, I don't no, know. I feel like there's something there. Can you? <laughs> right. No, I think, I think you, I think you're onto something because it, for many people, even the word poetry conjures a, a sense of difficulty, whether it's a noble dif difficulty or not, it's, it, oh, that's beyond, oh, I've never get, I don't get poetry, right? That's the, maybe the most common sentence anybody, you know, you heard about poetry is I don't get poetry. So there is a sense that it's difficult, but unlike, you know, computer engineering, 
which is also difficult and which is also opaque to most people, poetry is also useless. So it's like a combination of difficulty and uselessness because like crucially, because like if you don't know how your iPhone works, you can still use your iPhone. But if you don't get poetry, like if poetry is that mysterious to you, then maybe that like that's maybe like a Venn diagram that needs more attention. It's like we, what we what needs to happen is it needs to be possible for people to be mystified by the composition of a poem while still able to enjoy the experience of a poem. Because that is the case for plenty of other difficult, you know, skills and arenas and fields. But for poetry, I think people have a simultaneous experience of difficulty and irrelevance, which leads them to think like, well, you're, you're putting yourself through something in order to achieve something that doesn't even seem to be there. So that must, there must be some purity or religious quality to that. And maybe that's a false assumption, but I think that may be where it comes from. Like, this isn't easy for you. And I don't see what's in it for you. <laughs> like, like that combination, yeah. you know, it's like, well, so I guess you're not doing it for any obvious motive, right? Which is kind of what we mean by pure, like, like the expectation of purity is like the opposite of cynicism. Like you assume there's nothing in it for, there's nothing selfish in it for you. Yeah. I Look, I think you're right. Although I don't agree with your categorization of poetry is useless. <laughs> Just, I, right. I, cause I think, I think you said recently something about, um, poetry can't change minds. It can't educate. It can't change you as a person. I think is what you said. And I just flat out disagree with you. I think poems that I've read have definitely changed me as a person. You know, the the poem that I encountered in year nine, Wilfred Owen's poem, it is the reason that I do this. 